Uh, I'm going to be teaching um, on vision. And uh, it's, it's really one of those uh, messages that is uh, really important for, for those people who call this place home. Okay? Now, it's also important for any guests because vision for your life and vision with the Lord is, is obviously so important. But this week's, I'm really going to kind of just speak into what we're doing here as a congregation. And uh, the reason why I'm doing that is, is one, we're, we're approaching, I guess I've been here, what, two years, two and a half years as a lead pastor? Uh, we're approaching the new year, right? There's kind of like a, a sequence of like things kind of starting fresh and new. And also, there have been several people who have just been, the Lord has been bringing into my life to just talk about the importance of laying vision uh, in our lives. So, you know, at that point, I was like, all right, Lord, you're... You're, you're doing something here. So, taking a, a bit of a pause from our sermon series and um, getting into this. <clears throat> and I don't want today <clears throat> to be uh, businessy. So, I was really praying, Lord, like, how do, how do we lay this out with appropriate spirit and not having it be, like, so business-like? Because I, I really don't like when, when, when congregations make things like a business. It just feels so wrong and off, you know? So, <clears throat> we're just going to rely on the Lord to just give life to this. So, <clears throat> I want to begin with this. I want you right now, hopefully you have a bulletin or a piece of paper on a pen. There's pens provided for you in front of you. I want you to write down one spiritual goal you have for yourself. Just write down one spiritual goal that you have for yourself. Um, example of that is good. An example of that could be um, I would like to no longer yell at my loved one, right? I want to make, I want to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus like that. Or, you know, I want to begin to have increased quiet time with the Lord in the morning. Okay? All right, so you wrote something down, and now what I want you to do is I want you to write down two action steps. Like, I mean, obviously the Lord is spiritual, but it's also very practical. You know, write down two things that you would, you would need to do to accomplish that goal. So this would be like, hey, you know, I really want to start leading worship, but you don't know how to play the guitar. Okay, well, step one is start learning how to play the guitar. Okay, so you got that? Two, two logical steps. There's probably actually more steps that are needed, but just two basic logical steps. And so now what we're going to do is uh, we're going to do the same thing uh, because, you know, sometimes churches get so spiritual and they forget about the practical side of things. It's a practical side of life. And so now what I want you to do is I want you to write down another goal. This is like for your personal, practical life. If you want to call it your non-spiritual life, I don't know if that's really possible because everything is, is spiritual, but I hope you get what I'm saying, like, you know, you want to lose 20 pounds. You want to get a better job. Whatever it may be. And then what you're going to do is you're going to write down two steps to make that happen. <coughs> two logical, practical steps. Okay. So, all of this being said is, you know, that, that actually right here... <coughs> Is, uh, is actually a spiritual exercise, right? So today is uh, Vision Sunday, Lessons from Kodak, the old Kodak 
company, if you remember that company, right? So what do we have here? This is what we have, right? Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, the people put off restraint. Look, whether it's on spiritual matters or if it's on physical matters, if you do not have a vision or goal, physically or spiritually, and if you can't recite that goal, hey man, what are you up to these days? If you can't say, hey, I'm, I am striving in a good way to be this or do this, spiritually or physically, you're, gonna be in a, you're not going to be in a healthy spot. I mean, it's, scripture is supporting this. If you don't have a vision, if you don't have a goal for your life, for your spiritual man, you're going to put off restraint, which means is you're just going to be like kind of floating around chaotic-like. Without any rhyme or reason. You're going to be double-minded. You're just going to be like, whatever, whatever. Whatever happens, happens, you know. And so it's very, very important to, to lay that out. Uh, and what happens here is this. You know, if, if you do not have a clear vision or goal for your life, <clears throat> you will most likely, absolutely, really, remain where you are and usually what happens here, you're actually moving the opposite direction of where you want to go. But there's so many people that, that just kind of waddle through life, just like, I don't know, we'll see what happens. And it's, it's, it's just such not a good thing. There needs to be a vision and a goal to your life, spiritually and also in the physical. Uh, I always like this, Ben Franklin. <clears throat> if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. It's all the wisdom from our, uh, our ancestors. So, if we don't have steps to achieve a goal, you're going to probably fail at the intended goal. If you do not have a goal or vision for your life, you're probably just going to muddy through and muddle through life. And funky things are going to happen to you. You're not going to know what's going on. You're not going to have any anchor. You're not going to be able to really be rooted in things. Does this, does this sound familiar to anyone's experience by any chance? Help me out. A couple hands. Cool. All right. Now, this can be, uh, this, this absolutely can be true for you, for a church, and for a business. So here we go. Let's, let's, let's just take a look at the, uh, you know, the, the less spiritual stuff for a moment. Uh, Kodak uh, Film Company uh, was a company that ruled like everything in terms of cameras and photography. Uh, it was around for a very, very long time and it went completely, completely bankrupt. It was like so bizarre. I mean, this was like, you guys remember like it's a Kodak moment? Shared memories, it's a Kodak. It's like, Kodak, where are you? Right? It's unbelievable, their story. Uh, and we'll take a look at that in a second. Uh, but let, if we take a look, um, oh, what am I doing here? Something got switched around. That's okay. All right. Here are some, uh, some companies that came and went. Blockbuster, 1985 to 2010. Polaroid, 1937 to 2001. Yes, Toys R Us, which appears to be coming back. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, they uh, have investors who, who are going to try to bring it out of the grave, yeah. So we'll see what happens. But 1948 to 2017, Borders, 1971 to 2001, Compact Computer, 1982 to 2002, Kodak Film Company, 1889 to 2012. All right. So, you know, all of this uh, is, uh, is, is, there's a principle here. 
And it's this, you know, out of all these different companies, you know, ask the question like, well, what killed them? What, what caused them to fall apart? And taking a look specifically at Kodak, which was like so phenomenal that they went under. It's just like, what killed, what killed Kodak? Essentially what happens was, uh, or what happened was, they were blinded by their own success. I mean, they were like an innovator. They had so much money, they were just like throwing money away at research and development and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing that caused Kodak to be killed. Uh, the other thing here is, um, essentially what happened was, um, they adopted a mentality that this is the way we have always done it. And so therefore it must continue to work. This is, this is like, these are, these are deadly, infamous last words. This is the way we've always done it, and then therefore it will always work this way. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Kodak actually developed the technology for digital cameras. And then they killed it in 1975. 1975, Kodak designed digital cameras. And they, this guy comes up with it and they're like, ah, this isn't what we do. No one would ever do this. Let's just continue doing film because this is what we do. And we make lots of money off of that. They failed to innovate. They failed to keep up with the times. They failed to create and look at things differently. And then they, of course, fell apart. This is the way we have always done it. Man, is that a bad, bad sentiment. So what we have here is, of course, uh, the, the, the six here. And so those are businesses that I've had this. <coughs> and now I give you this. Bristol Hope Assembly, 1928 to when? We're still here. The Lord has raised up this place again. But I think the Lord is saying unto us, we need to be careful. And we ha cannot adopt the way of Kodak. We can't be blinded by the, 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 the success that the Lord is doing here. We can't get into this, this kind of trench or this, 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 this mud of thinking of, you know, this is the way we've always done things. And then therefore, we're going to continue to do it this way. Tradition is powerful but tradition of your way of thinking of how you do things and do church and do life can actually bring destruction to that life. So, I just what the Lord was saying, you know, for this Vision Sunday of going forward. Is, oh, don't worry, don't be pessimistic. It's this. We have a call to steward the vision that the Lord has given us. Amen? Like, the Lord has given us something here, and we get to steward and be a part of what God is doing. But you have to steward it. There, there's something that you have to do to keep it going and keep it alive. And what happens here is, the reality here is, it's, it's our responsibility, and it is a responsibility of stewardship, to look inwards. And say, alright, what are we doing right? What are we not doing right? What could be changed just because something has been the way that we've done it for so long? Is this really the way that we should continue to do it? That's a hard stuff to do. So much so that a multi-billion dollar company like Kodak 
refused to do it. They refused to do it and they fell apart. But successful companies, uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, all those, they're continually always taking a pause, stewarding the, the vision, the idea, saying if they're going off track, which track they should be on, and they're constantly kind of changing and innovating and moving and having a freshness of things so they know that they are on the right pulse of what's happening. And so I, I came across a, a video uh, uh, by Francis Chan. He just recently wrote a book called Letters to the Church. Uh, and it's, he's just explaining his heart of uh, what's been going on. And, you know, I just, I just watched it and my heart was just like, man, this is, this is, this is like what I would like to be able to convey to people, but in his words. So if we can switch over to that and we'll see what, what he's talking about. being a pastor for 30 years in America, thinking through like, gosh, we've strayed so far from what the Bible calls church. And it was a, it was a letter where I just thought, man, I, I just want to get us back to what we see in this. But we, we all know it. We all know like what we're experiencing right now is so radically different from what is in here. I mean, back right now, I'm standing in the Jordan River, and I'm thinking about what was it like in the very beginning when John the Baptist was here and he's talking about this one who's coming and an hour he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals, just the holiness, the understanding of how sacred God was. And I think I look back at my life and I think of all the times where I treated the church as so common. Like it's just another thing. And then I'm, I'm reading a revelation and I'm, I'm looking at how Jesus speaks to the churches. And his message to like five out of the seven churches is you better repent or else. You better repent or else. And you know, you just get to an age where you think, I have got to take this so seriously. That was one of the strongest warnings ever written in the book of Revelation. Of what will happen if we don't get serious about the things of God. And so my heart in this book is not to judge or anything else. It's just looking back at my life and looking back at the way we did things. And I just wrote it thinking, man, if I could die tomorrow, and what would I want to say to everyone for what I understand of this book? And what I've experienced in the church for all of these years. And there's just a sense of urgency. Man, it, it's like if my wife was in ICU fighting for her life and I was out golfing or whatever else, then something would be wrong. And we have to understand when we talk about the church, we're talking about the bride. The bride of Jesus. I mean, just like you would expect me to be at her hospital at bedside going, doctor, save her, take my lungs, take my heart. Her health is more important than me. Like, that's the way we've got to be about the church. There so many people have gotten frustrated because the church is unhealthy and they just leave her. And then you understand that this book is about how Jesus is going to return one day. 
and you and I, we can't afford to just go about life and not care about his pride. When he returns, I want him to find me just giving everything I've got to bring health to the church. And that's what this book is about. My hope is that you also will see the need to just repent from this casual attitude and take the church as sacred again. Hmm. So he, he talks about, like, you know, when you read this, and you look at it, and you, you look at what we're doing, you're like, something's not quite right. In some regards, I mean, they're meeting daily together, sharing life together, breaking bread together. They're so close that people on the outside think that they're literally brothers and sisters. They're doing life together. They're involved together. They're passionate. They're committed. They're committed unto death. They're saying, we want to present ourselves as, a, as an offering unto our God. We want to present ourselves as a worthy bride. And so Francis Chan, is, he, he, was, he had a mega church. He started a church in his living room. Twelve people. Within twelve years, he got over five thousand people. He got to the point where he actually, he's like, I can't do this anymore. There's too much celebrity status with this. This is not what God has called us to. This is ridiculous. You're, you're, seeing, my, you're seeing my gifting, and then there's 5,000 of you that are just sitting there not doing anything? This is not what church was intended to be. So he steps down, and he starts house churches. Now he's out in San Francisco, and he's got like uh, 12 or 12 or 15 different house churches, over 100, 200 people. And he's like, people are just getting involved in their communities and they're committed and they're invested in and all this wonderful stuff. And it's like, man, that's pretty awesome for this guy to do this. But right, the intent of the video is like to remember that this, is, this right here is something sacred. We're a family of saints as the bride of Messiah. And he's coming back for us. And so, what kind of vision, what kind of commitment can, can be thrown in there? And so, I'm just going to raise a couple of difficult questions or a, difficult, a couple of difficult statements to try to get it stirred into this. Because I could just be like every other pastor, not every other pastor, I could just be like a pastor that just tells you what you want to hear. But we're not going to grow that way. You don't grow that way. So let's take a look. Well, one of the things we learned from Kodak is this. Uh, you, you can sp Spotting something wrong and doing something about it are two different things. When you look at an organization and you're trying to cast vision, you can look at something and say, all right, there's something, there's something wrong. But then, you know, is there something that you can do about it? That's totally something different, right? So, so many people, I love it, man. So many people are like, hey, how come we don't have this ministry at the church? Well, it's very good that you have articulated a need. Are you going to do anything about it? Like, is, you know, I've got to be careful because, you know, I have a tendency to go all New Yorker, so I'm really protecting myself. But, you know, it's like, I've had people say, hey, how come we don't have a men's breakfast? That's awesome. Why don't you do it? Uh, how come we don't have a men's breakfast? Oh, it's awesome. Why don't you do it? That's just one small thing, right? It's, it's one thing to say that there's something wrong, and then there's something about doing it. Right? Anyone can say there's something wrong with something. 
Right? The old adage, right? Don't be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution. And so fine, you know, like, that's just a kind of like a small little thing. But, you know, what we have here is this. Uh, you know, it, things are awesome at this church. The Lord is showing up. The gospel is happening. Fire is falling, man. People are getting healed from cancers. Come on, it's amazing. And I don't know if I would necessarily say there's something wrong, but I think it's a, th- a thing that we can keep an eye on and say, all this is happening. And how come the Lord isn't adding unto us more people? Man, I've gone to the Lord. Lord, do you want us just to be a church of 40 people? I think sometimes he does that. Like he has special assignments for special churches to, to just be that smaller 40, 50 person entity. I, I really do believe that sometimes the Lord wants. I mean, the Lord had 12 disciples, right? And he wanted 12. And some churches are meant to be 40 or 50 people. Some churches are meant to be 10 people. But I don't know. I'm just like, Lord, we've been here since 1928. I think and I believe that there's, you want more. I'm not saying 5,000 or 1,000 because, you know, whatever, that just gets nuts. But I, I really do believe that the Lord wants to fill this place enough that every seat is taken and the bills uh, can get paid and, and things can be taken care of. And more importantly, the power of the gospel can go forward. And so, fine, you know, is it something wrong? I, Ron, that which you love, you take a moment and you think about it. How come the seats here are not completely filled? It's a question to ask. We just close our eyes to it and just be like, uh-huh. come on, man, don't be like that. Take a look at what's going on, right? It's anything. Doing something and doing the right thing are two different things. Whether it's for a church or business or your life. A lot of times people get into panic mode and they'll just start doing stuff. Oh, oh we got to start doing stuff. You know, it's like, it's like the person that uh, is overweight and they're like, oh, what I just need to do is just stop eating. Oh, I just got to buy Slim Fast or Weight Watchers. It's like, ah, it's not always, you know, maybe there's a better way to do something. Or it's a church, oh, we got to like advertise and we got to spend a whole bunch of money on campaigning and all this kind of stuff. I do all these different things, right? So to do something and do the right things are two different things. That's for you, yourself, and your vision that you wrote down and also for we as a body. We got to do the right thing. Amen? We don't do things the way that the world does them. We do the right thing. We don't just do things the way that other churches do them. We do the, the right thing. All right, three, failure is usually an inability to truly embrace the new model of doing things. And I really need you to grab this one. The failure is usually an inability to truly embrace the new model of doing things. If you want change in your life and you're trying to go after that goal, I am telling you, whatever goal you have that you wrote down physically or spiritually, you're going to have to change things up. Because you, if you haven't changed things up, you would be, you have arrived already. So if you're struggling with something, or you got a goal, and you want to do this, you want, you got to change things, man. I mean, sometimes it's hard. It's like, you know, um, I, I'm not making enough money, I can't find a good job, I can't provide for my family, this, that, and the other thing. It's like, wow, man, that's heavy. Well, you might have to change things up. You may have to get more training. You may have to go to school. You may have to go to a technical... Well, that, that's going to be a lot of time, a lot of energy. Yes. You're right. But if you don't change what you're doing, you're going to be right where you are now. Sometimes you just got to pony on up and you got to get her done. 
you have to change things sometimes. A lot of times, actually. Because if what you're doing now isn't working, it must not be what you're supposed to do. Right? It's the old definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I mean, how many people in the church do that? Like, like if you honestly think, if you honestly think having a Sunday service every week is going to bring in the masses. No. Because we've been doing that since 1928 and this is what we have. Bringing in the masses, bringing in revival is going to take something different. It just, it's going to take something different. Because just having a service on Sunday and inviting your neighbor out, is, <laughs> that's, that's what we've been doing, right? And there needs to be something different. So failure happens, right, when we don't embrace the new model. So, okay, let's, uh, let's kind of get out of this pit, if you will. <laughs> and let's just start speaking into... Right? So I just, we just spent some time just kind of evaluating like the, the atmosphere and the pulse of reality of things. And now let's, let's really think about what's happening here. Okay? So <clears throat> about two years ago when I, when I became the, the pastor here, and like I said, you know, it's like a, kind of a special message for, for our personal family, our personal church family. <clears throat> the Lord <coughs> spoke to me and says, Dave, uh, the days of the chess pieces are now. He spoke to me about a year and a half, two years ago. I was like, what are we talking about? He's like, I am getting the chess board ready. I'm bringing the chess pieces to the match. I was like, wow, okay. And so what I believe here, right, is that the Lord, if you've, I'll just be honest with you, if you're here and you call this place home, especially if you've been here for only the last two years, I really believe that you are fruition of that prophetic message the Lord gave me. Now, I'm not saying that as in coercion. I mean, be, feel free to go to another church. But like, I really do believe like, the Lord is like, I am bringing specific people to the church to get the chess match ready. Right? And there's been a lot of people who have come and a couple of people that have left. But there's chess pieces that are here. And now I feel the Lord is now encouraging us. Now it is time to step forward in action to commit to the game. Right? The pieces are here. Now there's strategy involved. Okay? And so one of those uh, pieces of strategy I'm very excited about. Uh, and it wasn't a uh, unilateral decision. It wasn't just me. It was a decision by our board. So if you're a board member, can you just raise your hand just so... Some of the newer people uh, know who you are. There you are. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, so we have Cynthia, Bill, Annabelle, uh, Jess, and Alan are on the board. And so we, we came together and prayed, and, and we're, we're talking and prayed, and we were talking and we prayed. And we're really pleased and excited to tell you that starting in January, Josh is going to be our associate pastor. So he's going to come on and take on that role. So clap it up for him. You know, it's uh, a lot going on, you know, um, and we, we, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening here. And we really need to begin to step forward. But he's one of the chess pieces that came. So let's talk about the chess moves a little bit. In a game of chess or in jiu-jitsu or in anything that you do and anything you do in the church here, what we have here is that there's, there's essentially a, a, a protocol of what, what you need to do. And it's this. You have vision, 
you have mission and you have action. Right? Vision is like the broad thought of what you're doing. Action are your steps and what you're doing. So in chess, it's like, you know, it's to win. Right? It's to checkmate. Then you have actions of how are the strategic steps to get there. And so I, I feel like, once again, and I've done this before, I mean, like two years ago, but I want to re-evaluate uh, it, <clears throat> that we, 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 everyone here needs to understand the vision, the mission, and the actions that are happening of the, in the church. And so the first thing here is our vision. Right? The vision of the church is, is very simple, but it's very broad. It's to bring the kingdom of God to our communities. It's the gospel. I mean, it, essentially, it should be the vision of every church, right? It's to bring the gospel of Jesus to your neighborhood. I know it's broad, and people like, will say, oh, hey, it's broad, it's broad, it's broad, and I've had conversations with people. I'm like, that, but that's, that's it, right? I mean, that's, that's the point of it all. To bring the gospel, the kingdom, Jesus, salvation to the lost. And so, okay, we, we have our vision. I mean, that should be, like I said, the vision of every church, but it's not always the vision of every church. Right? There are churches that the vision is to simply enlarge the building, enlarge the attendance in any way, shape, or form. That's not what we're doing here. Our vision is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Okay? It's not to get the cool, trendy, younger kids to come. Or our, our, we're staying the focus, man. Our focus is to proclaim the gospel. Now, the action, we've done so many things, right? We have a Sunday service, we have a prayer night, we have a youth group, we, had a, we have a women's group, we had a men's group, we have a community outreach opportunities. We have all these actions and all these things that are happening. But this, once again, brings forth the question here of how come it's not working? Like, I know there's, 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 I mean, there's people here. But Bill, you know the Lord wants more, right? So how come it's not happening to the degree that prophecies have actually come forth? There are like several prophecies that have come forth that this place is going to be so filled and the Holy Ghost is going to be in so, so on fire that they saw like spiritually the roof actually blowing open from, the, from containing the presence, not being able to contain the presence of the Lord. There's been a lot of prophecies that are going forth, and it's like, man, oh man, oh man, like, what's the deal, you know? And so, what I thought the Lord was just saying here is because we, we haven't quite articulated and understood the mission. So the vision is the most broad thing. The action are all the various things that we're doing, but the mission is tightening things up. And th this is the way, this is the only way. That the vision of God and the vision of the church is going to happen in this community. And it's to adapt this. This is the one that I feel like not all of us are on board yet. To host the presence of God in our lives. To transform ourselves and then our communities into their understanding, sorry, of identity as sons and daughters. And if we could have the worship team come on down, it would be great. This is it, man. It's like we can do so many things. We can do so many acts. We can have all this evangelism. We can do all these community events. We can do all this stuff. But if we do not adopt the mission, the understanding to be transformed into the image of Christ, into the Messiah, if we're not bringing that in, all the actions and all the steps of the plan are, are not going to happen. They're not going to happen. You hear what I'm saying or no? I don't want this to be a negative word, but this, this is what's going on here. 
So if you look at your goal that you wrote out, you, you see your, your, your vision, your goal, and your actions, and you see your steps. And you know what the steps are. Like, hey, i got to lose weight. i, I got to do this, this, and this. Well, how come you don't do it? Hey, I want to get a better job. This is what I need to do in order to have... What do I need to do? Well, how come you don't do what you're supposed to be doing to get your goal? If you know what it is, you know the steps, just do it. Like, oh, I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? Well, because of X, Y, and Z. That's the, that's the mission. It's that feeling of, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Or there's too many things that come up. Mission is an understanding that you have a mission. That there is a commitment that is needed. And so in your personal goal, and in your spiritual goal, if you get down deep inside of you, that you have a mission to complete, you have to be committed to it and do it, that's the motivation. So you're like, all right, well, all right, the vision of the church is to spread the gospel. Cool. We do all these various things in order to try to bring people in here. But it's not entirely working. What's going to get me more committed to the gospel? This is a hard question, man. I think that's what Francis Chan was talking about. I believe the Lord is saying for us, we need to do things different than the way you may have done it in the past. And what you need to do is you need to get committed. You need to get committed, not necessarily to this church, we need to get committed to Jesus. You have to get completely committed, like, yes, I want you to transform my life so much that when I'm in the store at Wawa, I can do what Bill has done. If you think just coming to church every week is going to cause revival to take place in the United States, you are essentially a board member of Kodak. We need to allow the Lord to transform our hearts to get... <sighs> to show the world what's going on. Like when you're transformed, man, when you're transformed, you're coming out to First Fridays. When you're transformed, you're not looking to someone else to do a men's breakfast. When you're transformed, like you're just, every day you're just doing something for Jesus. And you don't need the church to provide something for you. You are the church. You are doing something. And I don't want this to be a negative word, man. I, I'm really trying to restrain myself from doing that. But I'm telling you, do you actually want to see revival in Bristol and in the United States? If so, you have to do things differently than the way we've always done them. And that is King Jesus, fill me up, radically transform me so I can be a voice and a witness to my generation. And it's going to take commitment. It's going to be like, yes, I am willing to host the presence of God in my life and look like a weirdo and be different and be strange and be a strange and peculiar people. So, I think we just, we need to approach a, a different model. And the different model is this. It's not enough to come to church on Sunday. You got to go to church every morning, every day. You, you, you need to like go to him and say, I want to be transformed into your image, Lord. I'm not okay just being who I am. I want to be progressively sanctified into the image of Messiah, to be a voice to my generation, to my community. 
That is what grows this place. It's the understanding that you're a sacred bride. So man, the presence, man, the presence has been showing up here. And he's, he's shown up in your life. Might have been 30 years ago, might have been 20 years ago, might have been a couple months ago, but he shows up in our lives. Psalm 51. you turn down the piano a little bit, please? Psalm 51, if you have your Bible, open it up. I felt like this is what the Lord was really showing me and, uh, about this place and what we're doing here. We want to set the vision, right? We want to set the goal. We want to Walk in what the Lord has called us to. We need to do certain steps. Psalm 51, I like to call it a recipe for revival. But if you open up to Psalm 51, there's a little intro. And the intro is this. A prayer of repentance. To the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him. After he had gone into Bathsheba. I believe that the church at large in the United States, and I believe that many of us here, we need to have a Nathan moment. We need to have a Nathan moment. And so what is a Nathan moment? The prophet Nathan comes to David and says, I know what you've done. Oh. You have committed adultery. With Bathsheba. You got her pregnant. And you even worked out the details for her husband to be killed in war. I know what you've done. David knows, Bathsheba knows, and Nathan the prophet knows. That's it. And Nathan, not in Psalm 51, but in the narrative says, and because of this, several things are going to happen. One thing that's going to happen is the baby that's in Bathsheba's womb is going to die. Essentially, it's going to be stillborn. And David just, he lies out in the tabernacle of the Lord on his face and he's crying out to the Lord. Repentance, repentance. Essentially, in this crying out for the deliverance of the child, comes Psalm 51. But this is what's going on here. I feel like we need to have this Nathan moment because what happens here is, 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 is the difference between lust and intimacy. I feel that many of us possibly in the broad church, and you have to think about yourself, is that we lust after God. And we don't have intimacy with God. Lust is intimacy without responsibility. Lust is pornography, right? Lust is adultery. Lust is prostitution. It's intimacy without responsibility. And if you do anything without responsibility, bad things are there. You see, David lusted after Bathsheba. 
No responsibility. It's not his wife. And what's produced? A stillborn baby. No life. Lust produces no life. And so I feel like the Lord is just saying to us this. Have you been lusting after his presence? Meaning, do you just come into his presence so you can get the high? Oh, I love your presence, Lord. In his presence, the difference between lust and intimacy is that in his presence, it can be lust if you're just receiving it for the high, but it becomes intimacy when you go into the bedchamber of the Lord and you're there to reproduce and to form a baby. Your inheritance, fruitfulness, discipleship. I feel that there's a lot of people, a lot of big name ministries that all are all are all about lusting after the presence of God. Give me, give me what I feel. I feel so good. I get my little sexual high now. But I'm telling you, if you go into the bedchambers of the Lord, you need to produce something. A child, a thing of inheritance. And so this is what I feel is the mission of the church. It's for us to go into the presence of God, to receive His, the host of His presence, so that we are completely transformed radically into the image of Messiah. So that we can go out and share the gospel. But I wonder if we're really real with us, how, much of, how many of us just do what we do so we can get our quick little fix to be able to make it through the week? That's your addiction. That's your lust. You're lusting after God, if that's what it's all about. Intimacy bears responsibility. The responsibility to be molded and transformed in the image of Messiah to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And so revival, that's what this all looks like, revival. So I'm just going to close up with Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, watch me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David's response, he could have denied it, he could have denied that he was lusting after Bathsheba. He could have came up with excuses, but he chose to change himself. And that's what I mean by a Nathan moment. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop is the herb that was used to, 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 to brush on the blood on the post and lintel of the Passover. Hyssop is the herb that was used to dip vinegar or gall into the vinegar, into the vinegar to give it to Jesus on the crucifixion. It actually says hyssop. It's the thing that cleanses you. Down in verse 10, Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. This is the recipe of revival. Having a Nathan moment. Don't lust after God. Just getting the high, just getting your quick fix. Have intimacy with him. And if you haven't, well then repent. David repents before the Lord. Give me the joy of your salvation, almighty God. Cleanse me. Revive me. And if you revive me, then I will go out and I will win sinners, transgressors to you. We talk about revival. Revival is, is not for the lost. Like, to be revived means you had to have been alive. Revival is for the church. Amen. For the bride of Messiah. Amen. If we get revived, this is in Psalm 51, David is revived and then he goes out. He goes out and then there's an anointing on his life and transgressors will turn. So, how do we grow this place? Revival. In your heart. Revival of the commitment of the gospel. But it happens with... I want to host your presence, God. Everything's got to go, I got to have you, God. Everything's got to go, I need to have you, Lord. I want to be transformed into your presence. I want to be transformed into your likeness. I want to get alone with you. Not for the sake of just getting a high and feeling good, but I want to come into your presence so that I can bear an inheritance. I can bear a child. I can have a Jacob. I can have an Isaac. I can be fruitful and multiply. That's what we need to get inside of us. And that's going to look different. It's going to look different for your life. It's going to be, okay, well, worship might be a little longer this week. It's going to be, hey man, half the church is possibly coming out to prayer and worship on Wednesday. Hey, it's you waking up in the morning because the Holy Ghost gets you out of bed and says, come on, spend some time with me. As Francis Chan said, the days of casual Christianity are over. We need to restore the sacredness of the bride again. Not to give up on her, but to be a part of the solution by not stating what the problem is, but now providing an answer. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that you care so much for us, that you are willing and desiring to give us vision. And Lord, I pray that this is not a discouraging word, but I pray that it's an uplifting word. I pray that we can be encouraged to be transformed and to do things differently and to be different. We know that the numbers in this place has really nothing to do with us, but really what you're doing in us. But we acknowledge that there are times when we need to look inward and we have to say, I want to have a Nathan moment right now. I want to have a Nathan moment with prophecy and with destiny. And Lord, if there's evil, any evil in me, is there any presumptuous, is there any lust, if there's any laziness inside of me, I'm asking you, you, oh God, King of the universe, 
to show me that and cleanse me with hyssop and restore unto me the joy of my salvation to be committed to the furthering of the gospel by hosting the presence of God in this generation. And it's going to look different. I'm telling you right now, the Lord is getting ready for revival on the East Coast. It's been too dead for too long. I'm telling you right now, prophetically, that the city of Philadelphia, the city who declared physical independence to the world, will be the same city that declares spiritual independence to the world. But it takes some founding fathers. And I'm telling you, the Lord is asking right now in this church, do you want to be a founding father? Do you want to be a founding mother? Do you want to be a founding son, a founding daughter, to bring forth the annals of history to the East Coast? If you do, it's time to get ready. It's time to have a Nathan moment and say, Jesus, just get rid of the dross. Get rid of the, the, the junk. Just get rid of it. I want to be committed to you. One thing I desire is to behold your beauty on this earth. You can have it all. Just have it all. That's what Kodak didn't do. Have a wonderful week. We have some refreshments downstairs. But I'm going to ask you if you want to do something brave, man. Do you want to have a Nathan moment? I'm going to ask you to come on down. Do you want to have a Nathan moment? That is a moment with God. It says, I'm opening up. Show me my presumptuous sins. Just show me. For the sake of revival, for the sake of the kingdom, I don't want to lust after you anymore and just receive my little spiritual hit. I want to be transformed into your likeness. Yes, Jesus. Yeah, worship team, go for it. We're just going to pray over these people that have a Nathan moment.